City Church, it's great to gather with you for worship. Hear this call to worship. This is from uh, Psalm 16, just a couple of verses. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask, really plead with you that this would indeed be a time in which we corporately set you before us. Um, We ask that we would be instructed, that you would give us counsel during this time that would change our lives, that would completely reorient us. And Father, this is a, a powerful morning or whenever people might be watching to hear and learn more about prayer. And I pray a lot of us are walking around with kind of dry prayer lives. And so I ask that you would use our James 5 passage when we get to it uh, to actually do a marvelous work among us so that we might not just pray more, but really thrive as we pray and understand its power and beauty. Pray for people who are watching or listening that are struggling just in general, that are having a hard time uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Would you bless them in particular as they are hurting? And would you lift up their heads? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise a mountain fixed upon it Mount of thy unchanging love Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, here and rescue me from danger. Interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm sunstreamed to be. Let thy goodness like a Above. Pull to one new Lord, I feel. 
can seal it, seal it for thy courts above. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. As I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place. You reserved for me now all I know is grace Alleluia all I have is Christ Alleluia Jesus is
City Church family, welcome once again. Great to be with you. Welcome to the month of May. The Lord has sustained us for yet another month, and again, we don't take that for granted. He has been very good to us. He has been faithful. Um, we would love to be praying for you this week. Please consider filling out a virtual connection card, citychurchgnv.com slash connection. You can also ask us questions there about our church. Uh, get to know us by reaching out, and we'll, we'll get back to you usually in a couple of days. So especially if you're new to town or you're just watching and you want to find out more about who we are, use that. Go to citychurchgnv.com slash connection, and we would love to communicate with you. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgnv.com slash give, or you can come uh, to a live in-person service on Sunday morning. We've been meeting outdoors almost for a year now at first magnitude. We meet at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. There's 9 a.m. Uh, child care available uh, at that service only, 9 a.m. currently right now at first magnitude. And we are going to continue to meet outside for the month of May. And then, Lord willing, we'll, we'll be back in our sanctuary actually at the first weekend of June. So that's the plan right now. We'll keep you posted if you have been watching our services online, we're going to continue to provide those. Uh, what we're going to do is start live streaming our Sunday morning worship, and so you can watch that live, or we'll post it after that. You can watch it at any point beyond that. So just to give you a heads up as far as what's to come, you can be praying for us as we look to make uh, that transition. Our community groups are still running throughout the month of May. They actually take a break between Memorial Day weekend and July 4th weekend, but if you're in town and you're watching this virtually and you feel comfortable being in a community group outside, those are available. citychurchgmv.com slash cg is where you would look for that um, information or, again, just get in touch with our church. We are always happy to help you get plugged in. If you're watching this on Sunday, May 2nd, know that tomorrow, and that would be May the 3rd, we're beginning a four-week class on civic engagement. That'll be in our sanctuary um, four Mondays in May, so Monday uh, the 3rd, and three more Mondays after that, civic engagement. How do we connect our uh, Christian faith uh, as far as how we think about culture and political engagement and, and race and justice and things like that? So we would love to have you at, in our sanctuary uh, starting Monday, that, probably tomorrow, again, if you're watching this on Sunday. So it would be uh, Monday, May the 3rd, and we, we're starting in class at 7. It'll go to about 8.45. Our scripture passage is honestly one of my favorite in the Bible. Our scripture passage this morning is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. James 5, verses 13 through 18. Let me read this passage for us, and then uh, we'll get going. James 5, 13 through 18. The passage will be up on the screen, by the way, so you're welcome to follow along with us. That way I pull out a Bible or your phone. James 5, 13 through 18. Let me read this for us. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. 
and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray together, church. This is an opportunity, Lord, that you have given us by your grace to completely change the way that we think about prayer, to have our prayer lives. If maybe we've never prayed regularly before, maybe this is the time to begin, or if, if we've prayed and prayed, but our prayer lives are stale, and even, we're, frankly, we're doubtful about the efficaciousness of prayer. I pray this would, this would spark something within us, Lord, and change us not only individually, but this would sweep over our entire church, that we would be a, a people a local church known for our prayer lives, for our zeal for prayer, for your glory and for the good of our city. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, God wants you to want to pray. He wants you to want to pray. He doesn't just want you to believe that you should pray. It specifically, specifically believe that you, you should pray. He, he wants you to want to pray. So that's our goal this morning, to leave here wanting to pray. And wouldn't that be the most wonderful thing? So many of us approach prayer as a have to, which means we probably aren't doing much of it, which means we're perpetually walking around with low-key prayer guilt. And occasionally that prayer guilt gets exacerbated by the stories we hear about the saints of old in church history. Apparently, every, one, every last one of them you know, prayed daily for two hours before they even had their morning coffee. And apparently... On the days they somehow failed to pray for two hours, they would write a poem of some kind as a, as a form of grief-stricken penance, majestic poems that would eventually become famous hymns of the faith. We hear stories like these, which are actually misleading, and we will we'll get to that. And then our prayer lives feel like a box turtle exhibit at the San Diego Zoo, inadequate and totally uninspiring. So then we try to pray more, and then we probably don't, especially after a while, and then we start to feel even worse. And that's why our time this morning is mainly aimed at the want to rather than the need to. Wholesale changes in our prayer lives are generally the product of wanting to pray. And honestly, I don't think you can rightly read and understand the text before us without experiencing a boost in your want to. Two questions this morning as we pursue that boost in our prayer want to. Number one, who should pray? And then number two, does prayer work? Who exactly should be praying? And then number two, does prayer work? And we'll start with that first question, who should pray? To answer that question, let's consider the evidence that we find here in James chapter 5 and know that we'll be taking several looks at the different groups of people mentioned in this text 
starting with a very basic look, and then over time we will zoom in. Verse 13, suffering people are encouraged to pray. People are experiencing a range of humble circumstances. And recall that many of the Christians James was writing to were in fact suffering. For example, wealthy landowners were withholding wages, causing untold amounts of distress for their workers. Distress in, in James's mind that was so bad that it essentially amounted to murder. Some of the people that James was writing to were experiencing that kind of distress. Verse 13 again, cheerful people are encouraged to pray, such as by singing prayerful praises of thanksgiving and adoration to God. Verse 14, sick people should call for the elders, that is the spiritual overseers of the church, and those elders should pray over the sick person and anoint that person with oil in the name of the Lord. And then verse 16, sinful people should confess their sins to fellow Jesus followers, and then they should pray for one another accordingly. So, who should pray and or call others to pray for them and over them? Suffering people, cheerful people, sick people, and sinful people. All of you are very sophisticated people, at least that's what I think. So you can probably tell that this is, at least in part, a fancy way of saying that all of us should be praying all of the time, both for ourselves and for other people. I mean, we all have issues with sin, with dethroning God and worshiping someone or something in his place. And more than likely, we're either suffering or cheerful, although biblical cheer or, or joy isn't exactly the opposite of suffering. It's possible for people in humble circumstances to experience genuine cheerfulness in the Lord. So all of us should always be praying. Some things in life are seasonal. Peaches are seasonal, at least as far as I know. Sometimes they're there and sometimes they aren't. But our, our prayers are like bananas. They are, they are always in season. And this is why so many New Testament letters, in addition to James, end with an exhortation to pray. Ephesians chapter 6. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Colossians chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. If these New Testament authors want to leave us with one thing, it's the urgency and importance of constant prayer. Now, at this point, it's tempting to, to bury the lead and turn this passage into a festival of spiritual obligations and requirements. 
And yes, obedience is, is part of the equation. All of us should pray in part because God's Word tells us to do so. And sometimes obedience is the only thing that keeps us praying, especially in seasons when we just don't feel like praying. And our faith is marginal at best. But if we want to enjoy our prayer lives, there's another side of things we need to consider. All of us, in all circumstances, are invited to pray. We're invited to pray. Folks, that's the headline. The Almighty God of the universe invites all of us to pray in all circumstances and to call others to pray with us and over us. And by prayer, we're, we're not just talking about casual conversations, though that's certainly part of our prayer lives. Here in James chapter 5, we're talking about petitioning God with conviction. We're talking about contending with God in prayer. James uses several different Greek words for prayer in this passage, and the two words translated prayer, particularly in verse 15 and 16, speak to particularly fervent prayer. This is a remarkable invitation. Perhaps the single most precious earthly benefit of being one of God's children. God invites suffering people to bear their souls before Him in prayer. All of their aching and confusion and exhaustion and doubt. God longs for these kinds of approaches. He's never bothered by them. God invites cheerful people to sing praises to Him. And in doing so, we glorify God and actually enhance the experience of our cheerfulness. This past year, as sports teams gradually allowed fans to return, some teams discouraged their fans from cheering. And so you would see these images of fans somberly sitting by themselves, with their masks on, while their team scores a touchdown. Why is this such a downer? Because putting a lid on our celebrations is unnatural and, and totally depressing. It keeps us from fully enjoying our team. So what a gift it is that God invites cheerful people to take the lid off and to fully enjoy Him with prayerful songs of thanksgiving. In praise. God invites sick and injured people to call the elders of the church so that they might pray over them and anoint them with oil. Realize that the words call and pray over are not accidents. At times we will be so sick, we will be so injured, that we need spiritual leaders to come to us so that they might literally pray over us. And when they come, these elders are instructed to anoint the sick with oil, consecrating them to the Lord, and tangibly reminding the sick that they are in the Lord's hands. The oil isn't some kind of magic potion, but it is a powerful way to express God's tender care and control. And God invites sinful people into vulnerable, sin-confessing community where we can pray for one another, 
and know with confidence that God hears our confessions and repentance and grants us forgiveness. Why these invitations? You know, why, why these prayer gifts? Because of God's character. Because of who He is. Exodus chapter 34, we've talked about this passage a lot this year. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So these exhortations from James to pray are are really not have-tos. They're get-tos made possible by God's extravagant mercy and grace and love and faithfulness and forgiveness. Earlier we said that our goal this morning was to experience a boost in our want-to when it comes to prayer. To enjoy it more. For quite a lot of people, step one involves connecting these prayer exhortations to the character in the heart of God, and then, of course, rightly understanding His character and heart. God the Father is not standing around in heaven with a spiritual disciplines evaluation form and a clipboard and a red pen. He's not checking boxes like, you know, morning prayers, yes or no, and then writing in some comments about duration and intensity. Prayer is a ministry of grace that flows like a river from the heart of God. In all circumstances, God makes himself intimately accessible to his children. Plus, he designs patterns of corporate prayer so we can bring Jesus to sick and sinful people who are perhaps too sick or feeling too guilty to pray on their own. To the degree that we believe God is is a clipboard God who arbitrarily assigns us religious rituals for the sake of meritorious evaluation, prayer will be a huge bummer to the degree that we believe God the Father is merciful and compassionate and gives good gifts to His children, prayer will be enjoyable. It will be a a precious gem that becomes more of a lifestyle than an assignment. Instead of praying when we're in the mood, we'll be in the mood of prayer. Speaking of being in the mood of prayer, here's a consideration that has unlocked oceans of enjoyment for me personally when it comes to prayer. As we've just seen in this text, prayer is most naturally a response to something. As in, a response to suffering and sickness, a response to our cheerfulness, a response to our sin. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see that prayer is a natural response to things that we learn about God's character and mission, particularly in His Word. So the longer I've been a Christian, the more I've envisioned 
prayer is something I get to do throughout the day in response to various circumstances. If I'm encouraged, I can pray a prayer of gratitude to God right then, even if it's super brief. If I'm anxious, I can cry out to the Lord right then. I don't have to put those items on a a list and tackle them the next morning. I get to pray right away. And likewise, when I'm with someone who is suffering or, or sick or struggling, I can offer to pray with them immediately. I don't have to tell them that I will be sure to pray for their needs later. I can stop and pray right away. Or if I'm the one in need, I can reach out to a friend or an elder and request prayer on the spot. I am convinced that we are saving far too much prayer for later. Which means we're missing out in the moment. Plus we are putting so much on the agenda for the following morning or whenever that it really can become an intimidating burden. It becomes more of a school assignment than an opportunity to commune with the living God. And finally, when I am spending more time in concentrated morning prayer, which I still think serves its own purpose, I need God's Word in front of me so that I can, I can read it and then respond in prayer according to what I'm reading. Bible reading is like breathing in and then prayer is is breathing out. But does it work? I mean, that's the question now, isn't it? All of this is fine and well, but, but only if prayer truly works. Otherwise, it's kind of ridiculous. Otherwise, we're just shouting into the void. As we'll see, as well, our our enjoyment of prayer is certainly tied to what we believe about the power of prayer. So the first question was, who should pray? And now let's let's definitely tackle the second. But does it work? Does prayer work? Look at verses 14 through 16, which present at least two significant challenges. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Challenge number one. I told you there were two challenges, two very... (laughs) Significant challenges in this text. Challenge number one. Apparently, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. On the surface, that is very encouraging, and it speaks to the power of prayer, but haven't we all prayed for people who haven't been raised up from their sicknesses? Challenge number two. Why are sin and forgiveness being discussed in the context of someone's sickness? Can we assume that sick people always have some kind of sin issue that's causing the sickness? And if they are not healed, does this mean they didn't repent? So let's start by dealing with that 
Second challenge, and then we'll come back to the first. Sin can lead to illness, either naturally or supernaturally. If you want an alarming yet very clear biblical example of this connection, check out 1 Corinthians chapter 10. However, other factors can cause illness as well, factors unrelated to personal sin. So we should never assume that someone's illness is directly connected to their sin. In fact, the Gospels contain two examples of Jesus calling people out for making that very assumption. And this is why we have the all-important word, if, in the middle of verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We've already seen the the broader benefits of being in vulnerable, sin-confessing community. But now we see a more specific benefit of this kind of confession and prayer connection that is fascinating and I think hardly ever discussed. If a person's illness, if, if a person's illness is related in some way to sins committed, and it can be very hard to know when this is the case, the habit of regularly confessing sin and receiving prayer will help ensure that such sin is dealt with and eradicated so that the sick person might be healed. This concept is, at the very least, a close cousin to the sentiment found elsewhere in Scripture that cherishing sin interferes with or even hinders our prayers. See, for example, Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Or even James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. These ideas aren't exactly the same, but they're certainly related. And together they show us that sin is one of the enemies of healing. Either because our sin is connected to our illness, or because sin keeps the Lord from hearing and responding to our prayers for healing regardless of the cause. And then what do we do about this? We regularly confess our sin to one another, and we pray for one another. And it works. When we confess our sin and repent and pray, we get forgiveness. And sin barriers preventing healing, if they exist, are removed. Confession and repentance are are incredibly powerful. Now back to that first challenge. What about the people who don't get well? Especially since the prayer of faith supposedly will make them well. Did the person praying just not have enough faith? And let me tell you, prosperity preachers will exploit this verse to make that very point. Rightly understanding the phrase, prayer of faith, is the key to straightening this all out. The prayer of faith, and hear me on this church, this is so important. The prayer of faith is not about the intensity of the faith of the person doing the praying. 
Instead, the prayer of faith is all about the object of that faith, namely God. Yes, prayers of of faith can and should be fervent petitions. But they are simultaneously admissions of total dependence upon the Lord. And whatever healing might occur has far more to do with the strength of the object of our faith, the God of the universe, than it has to do with the strength of our prayers. We see the same theme back in verse 14 as well when we're told that the elders anointing the sick person with oil should do so in the name of the Lord. So again, the power for, the power for, for healing, it doesn't really lie in the intensity of our prayers. It, it certainly doesn't lie in the oil. Those things aren't magic bean formulas. The power lies in the Lord. The God of the universe. The one we're crying out to. And that reminder will help you enjoy your prayer life, right? Because, I mean, if, if the pressure is all on us, on the intensity of our prayers, our, our prayers will be stressful, they'll be joyless, we will always be on edge. We'll always be wondering if we should have purchased olive oil instead of canola oil. But the pressure isn't on us which opens the door for us to go to God in faith, even with our mediocre prayers. But still, what about the people that don't, that don't get better? The people he, who keep suffering. And that might describe some of you. Two reflections to keep in mind. Number one, eventually all of God's children will get better. They will be raised by the Lord into resurrection life in the new heaven and earth where sin and suffering and mourning are are gone forever. That is a a done deal, no matter how things play out in this life. All of God's children will be saved, spiritually and physically. And the physical part is really the emphasis of this particular passage. So two reflections to keep in mind. That's number one. Here's number two. The way that God heals people in an earthly sense often looks different or happens on a different schedule than we might anticipate. God is always acting more powerfully than we know, not less. And part of the reason that we, that we miss some of this work, we, we don't perceive some of this work, including healing work, is because of our vision and our our understanding are far blurrier and narrower than His. So God is doing far more in response to our prayers than we think, not less. And healing is ultimately guaranteed. None of us really will get fully better in this life. But full healing is guaranteed. When Christ returns. How's that for yet another dose of encouragement to help you enjoy your prayer life? We're on a roll right now. And you can see James' own enthusiasm spill out into the end of verse 16. The prayer 
of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's like he can't help himself. He just he spouts it out. Look how great this is. You know, a righteous person doesn't mean super spiritual person. It's a reference to, to God's children who have been declared righteous on the basis of, of Christ's righteousness, children who have repented of their sin and received forgiveness through Jesus. When even the most humble Jesus followers offer prayerful petitions to the Lord, they can be confident that their prayers work and have great power as they are working. Church, God hears your prayers and then He takes action. There's, there's a mysterious space in His rule and His reign over the world for our prayers to matter in a very real way. And then James puts the button on this prayer discussion with a remarkable illustration. You see it in verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James's primarily Jewish audience had immense respect for the prophet Elijah especially because the prophet Elijah didn't actually die. He was, he was taken or kind of he was like he was translated into the presence of the Lord. But at the end of the day, James makes it clear that Elijah was just like us. So his prayers for, for no rain and then his prayers for, for rain again weren't effective because he was super spiritual and, and holier than others. His prayers were effective because he was praying to a powerful God. And his prayers were effective because they were in line with God's will, which in this case was to discipline King Ahab and Israel for their truly horrifying idolatry. You can read about all this at 1 Kings, I believe it is, chapter 17 and 18. Again, the efficaciousness was on the side of God's power and His will. Not Elijah's power and His will. And yet, when we petition God according to His power and His will, our prayers really do work. They're powerful. There's mysterious space within the providence of God for our our prayers to to do something. I'll say it one final time. How is that for enjoying your prayer life? I want to end by giving the old guard here the last word. And this time I mean the really old guard. The preacher and the archbishop, John Chrysostom, who lived primarily in the 4th century A.D. I think he died around 407 A.D. or something like that. This is what he had to say about the power of prayer. The potency of prayer, Chrysostom writes, has subdued the strength of fire, has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, 
rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is an all-sufficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mind which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. Prayer is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Amen. Every week at City Church, we participate in, we enjoy the Lord's Supper together. It's an opportunity for us to remember Christ crucified and raised, and Christ with us until the very end of the age. If you're watching this and you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you'll participate using whatever you have on hand that's closest to uh, the bread and the cup. And if you're watching and you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus, would you instead reflect on what we've just been talking about instead of participating in the meal? Maybe this is the day that you would become a follower of Jesus and enjoy one of the most wonderful things that we have to enjoy here on earth, praying to an almighty God who invites us to petition him. The Lord Jesus, in the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, and during the meal, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And then the Apostle Paul writes, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And he will come again, church. He has risen. His return is certain. And until he returns, he has gifted us, among other things, with this beautiful gift of prayer. This opportunity to communicate and to commune with the, with the Almighty God. And speaking of prayer, let's pray over this meal right now. God, we do give you the, all of the praise for beautifully supplying our needs while we walk in this world which is beautiful yet tarnished by sin and we thank you for prayer and as we pray we praise your name with joy O lord for sending your son jesus to die on the cross for our sin to rise again thank you that we have victory through jesus over sin and death and might that nourish us in our faith profoundly right now and father we also pray that you would equip us in the moment to to experience to, to bring our sin for you. Maybe, Lord, even our prayerlessness. Or maybe we be honest and vulnerable that you might shape us and that we might freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord, from sorrows deep I call When my hope is shaken Torn and ruined from the fall Hear my desperation For so long I've bled and prayed God, come to my rescue even still the thorn remains, still my heart will praise you. Storms within my troubled soul, questions without answers. On my faith these billows roll. God, be now my shelter. Why are you cast down my soul? Hope in him who saves you. When the fires have all grown cold, still my heart will praise you. Should my life be torn from me, every worldly pleasure, when all I possess is grief, God be then my treasure, be my vision in the night, be my hope and refuge, till my faith is turned to sight, Lord, my heart will praise you. And oh, my soul, put your hope in God, my help, my rock, I will praise Him. Sing, oh, sing through the raging storm, you're still my God, my salvation. And oh, my soul, put your hope in God, my help, my rock, my salvation. Sing, oh, sing through the raging storm. You're still my God, my salvation. darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt 
Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Appreciate the teams, the people that are making this possible every Sunday right now as well. I will read this benediction, and then we'll sing the doxology together, and 
This benediction comes from a passage that I, I alluded to and quoted from earlier. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Um.